Welcome to the Thriving Farmer Podcast. I'm your host, Michael Kilpatrick. Our mission is to inspire, educate, and celebrate sustainable farming. We believe that you can build a profitable, sustainable farm that gives you true farm freedom. Join us as we talk to farmers, innovators, educators, and entrepreneurs to glean their top takeaways in business and life. Hey, Thriving Farmers, Michael here with another episode of the Thriving Farmer Podcast. And today my guest is Ed Rao, who has worked as an environmental health professional for over 40 years, including 30 years of active duty as a commissioned officer at the U.S. Public Health Service. In 2006, Ed founded Sustainable Bioresources, LLC, a small Maryland business focused on research and development of a new plant cultivars for sustainable cultivation. In 2013, the family business has moved to the big island of Hawaii. Welcome to the podcast, Ed. Hello. All right. So give us a little bit of an overview of, you know, so this, you said this is one of your many failed retirements. What does this failed retirement uh, encompass? Well, it uh, provides a lot of uh, unlimited overtime and no pay, but uh, I'm doing what I want to do. And yeah. I've always uh, had this urge to grow things. And uh, so uh, working now full time on that, um, like working primarily with two groups of plants, uh, Hudia, which is a African succulent plant with uh, nutraceutical applications, particularly for weight loss. Uh, the other is a group of tropical trees called Moringa. Mm-hmm. Um, they are probably the most potentially useful plant known, uh, a wide variety of uses of superfood, um, source of vegetable protein for making artificial meat, um, a, at least a hundred, uh, medicinal uses potentially as a biofuel land reclamation and the list goes on. Wow. And I was actually introduced to Moringa a number of years ago through someone who was in South Africa working with it. And so they told me of all the uses there. And so when I saw your name and what you were doing here in uh, the States, I was like, hmm, we need to get you on and chat about everything you're working on. So we do have projects in Africa with Moringa. Um, we're growing it there on an abandoned cattle ranch in Mali, for example, uh, okay. producing a very high quality leaf powder from that. And that's being dispensed throughout a health clinic system in the country there to save severely malnourished children. And it has uh, been very effective for that use. And you said that's actually provides a lot of vitamin A, which helps prevent blindness. Yes, uh, vitamin A deficiency blindness is uh, very important in some parts of Africa. It's something we could easily treat and prevent here, but because of uh, dietary problems there, it's uh, still Mm -hmm. rampant. So uh, in fact, there's, I believe the International Eye Foundation or one of those groups is uh, planting Moringa strictly for that purpose uh, in treating the vitamin A deficiency blindness. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Okay, so how did you get started with the nursery? Well, it's always been a passion to be uh, growing things. Uh, my initial interest was on the hudia plants. Mm-hmm. I started with that in 2006. Uh, at the time, there was a, a huge interest in developing the plant potentially as a multi-billion dollar crop uh, for weight loss. A number of drug companies got involved with it, um, didn't succeed in developing um, uh, FDA approved type drugs, 
but a number of companies uh, started selling it as dietary supplements. Unfortunately, they're not well regulated. The supplements were often ineffective um, or may not even contain the plant. Uh, harvesting of the plant in the wild in Africa was unsustainable, mm -hmm. uh, resulting in their, their being declared a threatened species. Uh, so my vision was to uh, be able to grow the plant here in the United States in an ethical organic matter and uh, manner and produce uh, products from that. Mm -hmm. uh, it turned out the plant is highly susceptible to uh, bacterial rot diseases uh, in cultivation. So 10,000 plants and 15 years worth of research. I now have plants that can be grown sustainably and they're just uh, starting to go on the market now. Uh, mm -hmm. I guess we have a very balanced business. We have something for people who have too much to eat and also people who are malnourished. <laughs> okay, okay. So the hoodia plant, that is actually, it's a cactus? Well, yes, it looks, it's a cactus-like plant. It's okay. not actually in the cactus family. Um, it was discovered by the uh, Bushmen, which is a, a term used for the indigenous people of that area, probably several thousand years ago. They would go mm -hmm. out on these long hunts um, and often get hungry. There were times of famine. So they discovered that chewing on a piece of this bitter tasting cactus-like plant would suppress appetite. And that was the basis by which uh, the development of these uh, nutraceutical products came from. Um, gotcha. So um, we're now uh, able to grow that sustainably in Hawaii and uh, just did a marketing uh, start with that last week here. Um, okay. So but, uh, most of my efforts right now are really focused on Moringa. Um, it's just a, a plant of tremendous potential mm -hmm. to solve a lot of the world's problems of hunger, uh, land degradation. Uh, need for medicinals and so forth. Um, I have on my website uh, a bunch of research supporting its potential use in treating COVID infections. Okay. And, now, one last thing before we swing to the Moringa, the Hoodia plant, where can that be grown in the U.S. Uh, year-round? Is that only be grown with a camp freeze, so like Florida and Hawaii, or where can it be grown? Uh, parts of California, uh, okay. Hawaii, um, that's about it. It doesn't, uh, especially the newer cultivars, don't withstand freezing temperatures. Um, it mm. is a plant of the very harsh, hot desert climates. Okay. Uh, so here in Hawaii, it's not a temperature problem, but outdoors there are some fungus uh, problems, uh, especially in the cooler, wet months. So it really needs to be grown in a way that uh, it's protected from rain. Unfortunately, okay. raindrops spread the fungus. One of the many things we've learned about it. Okay, very cool. Uh, so let's go back to the Moringa now. So talk to us a little bit about um, uh, that plant and the different uses. We've talked about, you know, the vitamins. We've talked about how it's used. It's edible. Um, they're making powders. Um, what are some of the other qualities of it? Uh, it's something that can be grown in areas that are suffering from climate change related droughts, uh, degradation of soils and so forth. Uh, so it's something that uh, provides hope in a lot of these areas that are uh, severely degraded right now, okay. uh, especially in Africa. Um, 
We have not only shortages of human food, but animal fodder. Uh, Moringa is probably the most nutritious animal fodder that can be grown. It's uh, under suitable conditions. We can get nine harvests a year of the leaf product material. Um, that's wow. useful for human food, uh, pharmaceuticals, potentially as a biofuel, a source of vegetable protein for uh, these uh, artificial meat products that are coming out. Um, and also useful for treating uh, drinking water. Um, the extracts from the seeds can be used to uh, uh, treat drinking water and also wastewater. So it's a uh, sustainable product that doesn't require importing chemicals, uh, building treatment facilities. It can be done on a very small scale or ramped up. Um, just a, a very hopeful product. One of the problems with it, as for many crops, is the loss of genetic diversity. Mm. Uh, we have for the large scale crops, the large corporations are developing uh, improved cultivars and, and selling those in mass. But for isolated areas, different geographies, uh, we need locally adapted uh, crops and seeds. There's a lot of diversity within the Moringa plants, for example. Yet, uh, like here in Hawaii and the Pacific Islands, other areas, there's just not enough market for locally developed seed cultivars. So there's no development of those going on. The larger uh, established commercial cultivars are coming in. And so we don't have the biodiversity in the crop that we need to um, really keep it going well. Um, I think there's some lessons to be learned from the history of agriculture here in Hawaii. Um, it's uh, sort of a, a local joke as there is a secret to making a, a small fortune in agriculture, and that is to start with a large fortune. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. So many problems of invasive species, um, shipping, labor, but the larger problem, I think, historically has been dependent on single crops, a monoculture of crops. In the case here, it was sugar. Uh, the entire island was basically uh, converted into a sugar growing area. Yeah. And when the economics of that crop collapsed, the economy collapsed, and we had other problems uh, with pests and so forth. Now we're moving to a new monoculture of coffee which I'm afraid will suffer the same fate. Uh, we just have a notification of a new coffee disease coming in, coffee rust, which puts that in peril. So where Moringa fits into all of this is in agroforestry. Yeah. Uh, Moringa is an excellent crop for intercropping with other things. Uh, we have this in Africa with uh, peanuts, watermelon, uh, a large number of other crops. The moringa leaves can also be harvested, uh, ground up, mixed with water. And from that uh, solution, a uh, spray can be developed that goes on other plants, uh, has some insecticidal properties, but also a growth promoting hormone. Um, intercropping with moringa with other longer term crops like coffee uh, brings the farmer an additional uh, yield of product far before the other things are starting to produce. So in, uh, to meet all of these future needs for diverse uh, 
selection of Hootia seeds, we've developed an international Moringa seed bank here. Mm-hmm. Um, we have uh, accessions from about 40 different areas around the world. We're continuing to build that. Um, and we'll be moving out hopefully uh, early this summer with, with a large grant to do intercropping experiments in six different farms on the island and a similar project starting in Spain. So we're very excited about the possibilities uh, with that. Yes. Um, The other consequence I would mention here in Hawaii of the problems of agriculture and dependence on monoculture is that we are now somewhere about 90% dependent on imported food in Hawaii. We are not growing our own food. We are highly susceptible to disruptions in shipping or economics. Um, So uh, it's critically important that we have crops like Moringa that uh, at least improve food security. Yeah, so let's talk about, um, let's talk about the life cycle of the Moringa because I remember we talked about, let's say grown in the continental US and um, even if it's if, if, if it frosts, you can still get a, a, a plant to grow. Yeah, I would kind of like to dispel that idea that moringa can only be grown in the tropics. Um, you can start it indoors in temperate climates uh, early in the spring, uh, grow it up as a seedling that can go outdoors after the last frosts. Um, mm-hmm. You could be 10 feet tall. We did this in Maryland actually uh, before we came to Hawaii. And through that uh, months of growing in the summer, you can harvest a lot of leaves for consumption. The Mm -hmm. tree will not uh, survive cold winter temperatures and live long enough to produce seeds and edible pods, but you have the leaf crop that you can use. Mm -hmm. With mulching and some other precautions, it may be possible to overwinter them as tubers in areas that are not hard freezes, Um, but uh, I, would again say that people can grow it anywhere, just mm-hmm. consider it an annual crop. Gotcha, and you said it has tubers. Yes, um, the tubers um, are very large. Um, in some areas of the world they're consumed. Um, in Oman, for example, the Arabian Moringa is uh, grown as a small crop and the tubers of that are roasted for consumption there. Um, all parts of the plant are edible. Okay. Um, but uh, for the other areas where will be mostly grown in the tropics, um, it is a very fast growing plant and wow. it needs to be kept trimmed, not allowed to become a telephone pole. Um, in some commercial growing, uh, it's grown intensively, very close together. Um, and, and it is cut down to the ground a lot by once, twice a year to force a lot of growth of branches and higher leaf production. Gotcha. Farmers just starting with this um, experience too much growth, too much product availability. It's very important as you're growing Moringa to know what you're going to do with it. Yeah. Uh, If you have adjacent farms uh, where it would be used as a livestock fodder or potentially for treatment of uh, parasite diseases and uh, livestock, uh, that's good to have that uh, disposal outlet close to you. Uh, But as in many other agricultural crops, if this is ultimately going through a lot of hands to retail, the farmer is not making much money on it. 
Yeah. Um, so what Maring what needs to be done with Moringa is some kind of co-op development of co-ops or other types of organizations that can convert this raw product into high value products on the other end. That takes yeah. a lot of equipment and technology that a single farmer is not going to be able to come up with. Uh, giving the example of Moringa seed oil, it's one of the highest quality vegetable oils known. It doesn't rancidify, it has many uh, high value uses, but it takes a lot of work to collect up the seeds, dry them down properly, extract them and make them into these high value products. Uh, that lesson was learned in a large project recently in Ghana, Africa. Okay. Uh, the farmers had too much Moringa, didn't know what to do with it. Uh, some uh, uh, entrepreneurial organization came in and taught them how to make that into high-end products and high-end cosmetics and that sort of thing. Uh, vegetable protein, I think, is probably the biggest potential new crop from Moringa. The okay. dried Moringa leaves are somewhere around 23% protein that can be extracted and made into uh, meat substitutes. Right now, those substitutes are made out of peas and other crops that you can't grow all year round, uh, some pest and other disease problems. So that is potentially a multi-billion dollar market for vegetable protein from Moringa. And so far, not many people have really looked at that. Yeah. So is what kind of technology needs to be, to, or what kind of um, uh, processing needs to happen to turn it into that protein source? Well, um, the farmer would need to grow it, uh, yeah. harvest the leaves. Um, that's the easy part. Uh, it can be done mechanically. Uh, from there, it needs to go to a more advanced technology type facility that can actually extract the protein. And then I would see that uh, extracted high value product then being shipped to the manufacturers of the artificial meat uh, products. Yeah. Like Beyond meat and, and so forth. Um, so uh, we need that whole infrastructure um, uh, to take that raw Moringa product and move it upward. Okay, all right. So now the leaves, if you just go ahead and eat the leaves, do they contain that protein or it's just not unlocked? Yes, they contain protein, uh, virtually everything you need to live. Uh, they're okay. high in iron, most of the vitamins and minerals, um, almost a self-sufficient uh, single uh, food product. They're not very palatable in that form fresh. They're highest in the medicinal compounds and uh, vitamins and minerals, but uh, has sort of a horseradish taste to it. It's, it's not uh, very pleasant. It's fine for mixing in salads or smoothies, mm -hmm. that sort of thing. Uh, but in quantity, it can be uh, cooked. Um, also pre prepared as a dry leaf for tea or as a powder to mix into other foods. But the more you cook it, like any of these things, you start tending to lose the medicinal and nutritious properties of it. Gotcha. That makes sense. So let's say someone's interested in getting started with it. What was the best way for them to go about getting started? Uh, I always advocate for planting a diverse array of seeds. Um, grow those up the first year and see yeah. what works best for you. Okay. And from those best trees, make your own seeds. Or if you're buying the seeds from us, uh, we'll have the identification of where those most favored trees came from and you could order more of that specific seed type. Um, 
that is the way our very successful project in Mali, Africa was uh, run. And we provided them with a small container of seeds. They planted them on this cattle ranch, kept selecting the best trees. Mm-hmm. And now they're up to about 3,000 trees as of a couple of years ago. Wow. And we have saved at least one to 200 children who were otherwise perished. So um, the beauty part of a project like that is by word of mouth, in this case, through the uh, villages, uh, the farmer suddenly has a crop that he can sell and there's more demand for it than he can meet. So it's economically sustainable and with a very minimal investment, uh, we're, we're producing a crop under rather austere conditions and it's saving lives and feeding people. Mm-hmm. There's very few things other than Moringa that can do that. Yeah, absolutely. Tell us a little bit about the soil conditions that this is looking for. Moringa is very accepting of a wide variety of soil conditions. Um, the one thing it can tolerate is poorly drained soil. So if you have a clay type soil that uh, holds a lot of water and doesn't drain, uh, the plants do not do well with that. Okay. But it's probably more adaptable to a wide variety of soils than just about anything else. Um, One really good application for it is in areas of the world where we've had the slash and burn sort of agriculture, the rainforests are cleared, they burn them down, get a couple crops of corn and now the soil is depleted, they can't grow anything, there's degradation of the environment. Yeah. Come into that situation and plant Moringa and have product within three months. Yeah. Uh, again, it's the situation uh, you need to know what you're going to do with it because the trees yeah. do grow fast and they need to be trimmed. There's labor, of course, associated with that. Um, so be ready for a crop that's a little bit too abundant. Yeah. The, um, other idea with Moringa is there are multiple species of Moringa. There's about 13 known species of it. Uh, Many of those are threatened. One of them is now totally extinct in the wild. Um, But one of particular interest is comes from the extreme deserts, uh, Saudi Arabia, that area of the world. Um, It's been used as an oil crop for thousands of years. It's mentioned uh, in ancient Egypt as something they uh, produced there. Seeds of it are now very scarce, hard to get. Uh, but it's of great interest uh, in parts of Africa that are experiencing this continuous, severe, and worsening drought. Uh, it's probably one of the few things that can be grown under those conditions and provide a um, high-value oil crop as well as fodder for livestock. But uh, it's one of those species that's in now apparently in steep decline, and we don't want to lose that. So our priority for that one would be just getting people to grow more seed. Yeah, yeah. And what's the yield on seed per plant per year? It varies with species and variety. Um, I don't have the numbers right in front of me. Um, If you're, when you're planting a Moringa crop, uh, one of the first things you need to consider is what are you growing it for? Uh, In much of India, it is not grown for the leaves. It's grown for the edible pods that form on the plant. They look sort of like a uh, pencil uh, shape long green bean um, and they're harvested in that immature state and used as a cooked vegetable. Uh, if they're allowed to grow further, 
uh, the pods become very tough and fibrous, cannot be used. But the important uh, product at that point is the seed. Yeah. And there are varieties that are specifically developed for high seed production or tender pods or maximum leaf production. So you can uh, select from the cultivars for the type of product that you're uh, hoping to produce. Gotcha. Um, so it will survive the drought. So it doesn't like a lot of water. It doesn't need a lot of water. Um, well, I would have said that, uh, but I am successfully growing Arabian Moringa from one of the driest, hottest places on earth on the island of Molokai, very successfully in one of yeah. the wettest places. So these plants are very adaptable to the water situation. Uh, they will serve almost all of them will survive severe drought. Uh, but what I tell people is uh, growing it in those conditions means survival doesn't mean good productivity. Yeah. We have the African species, Moringa stenopetala, which comes from very arid areas uh, of Ethiopia and so forth. Um, and it's been very successfully grown on the north coast of this island where we get hundreds of inches of rain. Yeah. So um, don't let the... Uh, where the plant originally came from isn't necessarily where it will grow best. Gotcha, gotcha. Hey, Thriving Farmers, have you checked us out on YouTube lately? We have a bunch of new content there, including a few rants by me. I uh, want to tell you, you don't want to miss them. Um, I actually go rant about you know some of the problems I see in our space and some of the challenges I see farmers uh, facing. So go check that out. We've got instructional videos over there as well. Talk about setting up our new farm here in Ohio and all the steps we're going to do that, as well as just tutorials and tips on best practices for all sorts of things on the farm. So go ahead, check over at Growing Farmers on YouTube and see the new content we put together for you. Now, does it produce any wood? Can the stems be used for anything? The wood is low quality. It's a very light, uh, pithy sort of material, but that provides a crop for production of fiber. Uh, for paper production, it could be used for that. Uh, that has been worked out, but uh, not currently. Uh, it also, there's a variety out of India now developed for use as a biofuel. Okay. Um, we have some crops like Jathropha in uh, the tropics that are being grown for a biofuel crop. Um, and that's understandable, but that plant is toxic. It is quite resistant to pests, easy to grow, but it means it also has no other uses. You're tying up a lot of land that can only produce one thing. Whereas with Moringa, you can produce the biofuel, which I think is a low end use for a valuable plant, but you could do that. But at yeah. the same time, you can eat it. You can feed it to the cattle and make medicine out of it. Uh, so uh, I think the advantages of uh, Moringa are, are really uh, great. And yeah. the intercropping, the benefits for other crops should not be overlooked. Uh, here in Hawaii, we have a emerging high value crop called Mamaki. Okay. It's a uh, native tree, grows in the understory of the forest, uh, produces a very high quality and demand tea product. But as we're planting new mamaki trees here on the island, finding they don't do well because someone has come in and cleared the land and this tree expects to grow under other trees in shade, the shade's not available in cleared land. Yeah. So we're in this big project we're starting uh, this summer. We'll be 
testing the intercropping of Moringa with Mamaki. Uh, interestingly, uh, producing a double tea product. You can make tea out of both plants. But the advantage is the Moringa will be providing shade within three to four months of yeah, planting, yeah. Uh, giving shade for the Mamaki. And further building that into an agroforestry system, we'll be also planting uh, nitrogen fixing legumes under the trees. Um, so this is, a, I think, what the future in agriculture needs to be moving away from monoculture into uh, agroforestry type situations like this, where if we have a problem with one species or the economics of one plant, we have something else still standing. Mm -hmm. It's still producing. Very interesting. Okay, so then the with that, you've got the moringa, which is the overhead, you got the other tea plant underneath, and then at the base of you have the um, the legumes uh, cover crop on the on the floor of the, the, the setting. Right, right. Very cool. That's been tested on a small scale, appears to be successful. Yeah. So this next project, uh, we're building on that. Uh, we're going to be testing probably 20 different varieties and five different species of moringa to see what does best under that situation with intercropping. Yeah. I would like to see this expanded to intercropping with coffee, which is our largest uh, economic crop here now on the big island. Um, but it suffers some of those same issues of being grown in a monoculture in full sun that I think Moringa could help with. Not only that, uh, there's a very good studies out of Nicaragua uh, where Moringa juice from the leaves is sprayed on coffee crops. Um, it increases the growth something like 20% because oh, wow. of the um, hormone that's in the Moringa leaves. It's called zeatin. Uh, it promotes the growth of other plants and it also has insecticidal properties. Uh, one of the areas of research I've been also working on here is development of biopesticides from Moringa. Uh, we have on the island here and in some other tropical areas a very problematic uh, parasite infection, rat lungworm disease, mm. uh, which goes through a life cycle involving slugs and snails. Uh, they crawl on different uh, crops, leaving yep. the larvae and the smaller slugs and snails, and it can produce a, a devastating infection. So it's... Um, degrading the value of a lot of our crops, uh, making people uh, not really interested in eating lettuce off the ground here anymore. Yeah. Understandably. So um, the Moringa has comp compounds in it that are very good uh, uh, against other parasite diseases, worm diseases and sheep and goats, for example. Uh, so we just did one round of testing of the Moringa extracts against the rat lungworm disease parasite. Um, not much activity from the leaves, but the seed extract appears to inactivate them. Um, that inactivation doesn't mean killing. So we're yeah. not sure quite what that means yet, but if this was successful, here we could be developing something that we can spray on produce that's yeah. not only not toxic, it's edible and nutritious and locally produced. Other applications could be as a uh, insecticide against the coffee uh, berry borer beetle. Okay. Um, and, some, uh, and some other uh, things that are important here. 
Uh, Hawaii is probably the world's capital of uh, invasive species uh, up until human populations came here. Yeah. Uh, we had everything developing in strict isolation and uh, not very well enabled to defend themselves against other pests. So uh, it seems almost daily we have a new uh, invasive pest coming in and it just creates a real terrible problem for uh, agriculture here. Um, yeah. The latest example just yesterday was an announcement about a new moth uh, pest of mamaki trees, and it appears to be devastating. Wow. Uh, so we're trying to get that under control. Yes. So again, the biopesticides uh, from Moringa, and of course my pet project, I think we could develop a treatment for COVID infections. Uh, Moringa leaves are antiviral. Uh, they mm -hmm. have activity against several different groups of viruses. Um, they are also potently anti-inflammatory. And one of the ways that um, COVID infections kill or cause long-term disability is by the inflammatory response. So if we yeah. can control that by consuming Moringa, that would be very helpful, uh, hopeful. Unfortunately, uh, most of the uh, research funds that are going into this right now are dedicated to existing drugs, synthetic compounds that have been previously used for other diseases. Yeah. I'm unable to get funding for natural products like Moringa, unfortunately. Still trying. <laughs> yeah. Unfortunately, the powers that be think it has to be synthetic to maybe working, unfortunately. Yeah, natural products are also not very easy to patent and therefore not potentially highly profitable. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, there's no thousand percent markup for them, unfortunately. Well, I mean, fortunately for people, but the problem is it means that there's no research going into it, which is unfortunate. But for much of the tropical world, uh, a lot of those areas are not going to have the money to buy expensive therapies, maybe not even get vaccinated. Yeah. They can grow Moringa. It's known to be safe and highly nutritious. Um, Moringa is used in several countries in Africa as a... Uh, a complement to HIV infection treatment. They use antiviral drugs, but also the Moringa leaf powder. And that combination is uh, very supportive of the patients that have this. So um, mm -hmm. I'm just very hopeful about the wide range of diseases we can treat with Moringa. If we can get the research done, diabetes is one, hypertension, certain types of cancer, and many infectious diseases. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Um, so where can people find out more about you and the work you're doing? I have a website. Uh, my company, again, is Sustainable Bio Resources. And put a .com at the end of that. We'll get you to our website, uh, sustainablebioresources.com. Yes. And we have a small online store and a seed catalog for the Moringa and also for the Hudia if folks are interested in that. Yes. Um, and uh, we do all of our business right now online, except for the local. Yeah. So the um, can you ship the Moringa seeds and the Hudia seeds uh, into the U.S.? Or how does that work? Uh, they can be shipped anywhere. Uh, international shipments are very problematic um, yeah. because of the paperwork. We have to generally get a phytosanitary certificate. Uh, which costs about $70 for the USDA to issue it. 
Um, But with that certificate, uh, these shipments can go into most countries. Uh, Hoodia is an unusual example of a plant that is regulated under what's called the CITES Convention. And that controls the international commerce of plants and animals that are endangered or threatened. Okay. Um, So if you were to uh, be unfortunately harvesting elephant ivory or shipping that, it would be covered under the CITES Convention. Yeah. Hoodia is also under that. So we have to have a special uh, permit from the Fish and Wildlife Service to ship that internationally. We do have that. It's just uh, a bit more paperwork uh, on top of the other paperwork. Uh, Shipments to the mainland of the United States, uh, we can ship hoodia and seeds uh, to those locations. Um, There are some states such as California that have quarantines against products from Hawaii. So we can only ship those if they come from our certified nursery area. The issue there is mostly nematodes, which are a parasite infection of plants, uh, not present in states like California, but are present here in Hawaii. So we have to grow the plants in a manner that doesn't um, have the nematodes. They're all tested before they're shipped. But yes, we can uh, ship just about anywhere. Very cool. Well, Ed, thank you so much for your time today. I appreciate you coming on and sharing about these two specialty crops and the opportunities for farmers around the world to use them. My pleasure. Hey, Thriving Farmers. Next week on the podcast, I talked to Eric Lomen, who is one of the owner operators of Cap and Stem Mushrooms in Maine. Now they are a block producer mainly and spawn producer. Um, They used to be doing mushrooms actually themselves, laying them at farmers markets, as um, Eric says on the podcast. But we chat all things about the mushroom industry, how they got started, how they've scaled, um, managing teams, and just general running a farm and managing a business. Very cool. Highly recommend it. Eric's a wealth of knowledge, and uh, you're going to enjoy this podcast next week. So tune in next week, and we'll chat with Eric. So there you have it, another episode in the books. So I'd love if you would hop on over to iTunes and leave us a rating and a review. Those mean everything to us. We love to hear what you're thinking. If you have a podcast guest that you can recommend, please pop on over to the Thriving Farmer Podcast website and leave us a review. That's thrivingfarmerpodcast.com.